From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated. We're continuing in the glorious fifth chapter of Second Corinthians. We're near the end. Next week, Lord willing, we have two more verses that will close it out. Before we approach the text, as always, let's pray to the God of glory. Father, we depend upon you. We depend on your Son, your Spirit, yourself. We consecrate ourselves to you now. Thank you that you've made your church the new creation in the world, the one and only redeeming society that brings peace through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Now fill us with the joy of the Lord as we preach and hear in Jesus' name. Amen. So when God makes anyone anything or indeed all things new, he also instantaneously makes them reconcilers of of a new covenant. They become agents of reconciliation. Now this is true of everyone and everything that is positively affected by the bodily resurrection of Jesus who has ascended into heaven as the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the one that started this process of reconciliation. He is the point of reconciliation. In the four verses of our lesson for today, Paul is ramping up his, the Corinthian churches, and our minds to the high and holy and appropriate level that they are actually on as we are in Christ, risen into the heavenlies as his children, his church today. And, as we always should aspire to in our sanctification process in Jesus, which is the struggle that we're all in down here. Now, all of this is extraordinarily encouraging for us. The sole resurrected members of the redeemed church. In other words, we've already experienced the resurrection of the soul, looking forward to the resurrection of the body. We're the one and only true ambassadors of reconciliation on the earth. There are no other ones. God has left only you and me and every other redeemed elect church member all around the world to be the society, the culture of reconciliation. All the world is blessed by and in a certain sense subordinately dependent upon us as we act as emissaries of King Jesus and bring this glorious gospel word to them and in doing so love them. Therefore, with this heavenly glory before us, let's make it our gospel goal on this resurrection day to be reconciling new creatures as God's forgiven church. Looking together in a few moments at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 19. I know we have some visitors and we provided you an outline. The title of the sermon is Reconciling New Creatures. The doctrine 
Reconciling new creatures has a glorious double meaning, or sometimes we call this a double entendre. While using the same words, we make the participle reconciling. In one case, passive, we are reconciled by and to God. And in the next case, active, we are instruments of reconciliation as God's children, his church, his ambassadors on the earth. And that's what we're going to pursue, that glorious theology in our doctrine section. Hence, let us now consider how the phrase reconciling new creatures has a glorious double meaning. First, we were reconciled to God when we were made new in Christ. Regeneration is such a lovely phenomenon. There's not a greater experience anyone could have in this world or the one to come. It's spectacular. It is the one thing that human beings must have, is to be made new creatures in Christ. And we're going to be looking at that today. Among the stupendous benefits of our new birth in Jesus is the reality that now, instead of being at enmity or opposition or at war with God, as we were in our conception as sons of Adam, completely opposed to anything with regard to God, and all of us were there, We now rather enjoy total and perfect peace with him through Jesus Christ, the Prince and Glorious King of Peace. Regenerated church members are miraculously, legally, and permanently made the happy family and friends of God. To be reconciled to God, dears, means that there is now nothing between you who in your own natural selves are only sinners and the holy, sovereign heaven of heaven and earth, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's nothing between you. Now, the fact that later in this chapter, in verse 20, Paul's going to urge the Corinthians to be, quote, reconciled to God, tells me, and I hope you too, that the apostle had some serious concerns about at least some of the members of the Corinthian church. And that means that these doctrines apply to us as well. And though we must grant also that this entire section of Holy Scripture does directly apply to Paul and his presbyterial comrades, we also hold that this ministerial miracle of reconciliation and the gospel of reconciliation and the word the church has for the world continues throughout all the ages of the church. And we'll look at that now. First, we were reconciled to God when we were made new in Christ, and now we are reconcilers for God as new creatures in Christ. And by the way, this is not an option. This comes with the package. So as we're made new creatures, regenerate, it comes with regeneration, the fact that we are now reconcilers for God in a broken and completely ruined, fallen world. Now, one way we can always tell true Christians from false Christians is in the effect that we have on other people. If we are willing to speak the truth about Christ to others, if we are, they will, we will be seeking the sincere reconciliation of people to God for their good, that they might be in a proper relationship to God through Jesus Christ. If we refuse to speak the truth to them, or refuse to bring them to the place of truth, then what we are doing is seeking to keep the sinner in as much of the dark as we ourselves are in. 
So this whole issue of reconciliation has to do with the way we live and the things we say. Some Christians are afraid to expose sinners to the truth for fear that they will have negative views of God. But there's, this is a completely wrong way of thinking. Sinners already have hateful opinions of God. What we need to do is lovingly and convincingly bring them to Jesus Christ and speak the truth to them. If they are elect of God, he will use our words for their good, either immediately or later on in their lives. So to be a reconciler in this world is essentially to be a truth teller, one whose life fits with one's worship, one's commitments, and one's words. And so we tell people the truth about who God is, who Christ is, what the gospel is, what sin is, what hell is, and what sinners are. And they need to hear that truth because there's no other way. As you can see, though, this is not for the faint of heart, this project. But every truly redeemed Christian is a reconciler and a truth teller. And let's flesh this out now as we look at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 19, and marvel at the supernatural mindset of reconciling new creatures. So with a new creation in Christ comes a new mind in Christ. And we may read about this in 1 Corinthians 2.16b. This new mind means that we of necessity and nature think differently. We do not view life, the world, the news, the events of the day, the way the rest of the fallen and dead world does. But this still requires gospel instruction, and that's what Paul's going to give us here in this chapter that we're going to study. And because of this, let's now recommit ourselves to the supernatural mindset of reconciling new creatures. First, we move on and up in our thinking, even about Christ. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now, I think what Paul means by these interesting words, somewhat unique, given the gospel words he had written earlier in verses 14 and 15, and also what follows in verse 17, is that Paul, his ministerial companions, the Corinthian parish, and all churchmen at all times, including us, are to think of Christ, human beings, and all truths, doctrines, concepts, and other beings from the vantage point of the new birth, the new creation, the new covenant church, indeed the new heavens and the new earth. And as you and I can imagine, that is a tall order. That's hard to do. We're, we're being taught here to view world, life, everything, even in this fallen world, from this elevated position in Christ. All newness, not old stuff, not the old Adam, not all death, not sin, not the world, but all new in Christ Jesus, because the old has passed away and the new has come, as we're going to find out from verse 17. This may be why Paul also wrote in another place, in Romans 12, 2a, the very familiar words where he said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So he understood this was a tough thing to do. And obviously the nature of sin 
or the reason we sort of devolve down by spiritual gravity to where everyone else is on the plane of a fallen earth is because this is a hard thing to do. But in Christ Jesus, we can begin to view everything in this newness that is in Christ Jesus. The regenerated Christian mind is renewed. How is this done? By what you're doing right now. Faithful church Sunday worship, whereby the ordinary means of grace, prayer, sacrament, and preaching bring new refreshment to your souls, and especially you who are already new in Christ, and give you hope and encouragement for the days ahead. Only by being lifted into heaven as the church on the Lord's days to sit with Christ as his redeemed ecclesia are we ever able to, quote, regard no one according to the flesh. Verse 16a. I mean, isn't that our natural knee-jerk reaction is to regard everyone according to the flesh? And now we're being told to look at everything with new eyes, a new mind, as a new creation, a new community, the glorious new covenant church, in the new age of the new and glorious world in which we live, in Christ Jesus. Having our minds fixed above, Colossians 3.2a, allows us to live below on this world below, to conquer it, to serve it, and to bring it into submission to our glorious King Jesus as our humble gift and offering to him. So the supernatural mindset of reconciling new creatures, you can see it's pretty revolutionary, isn't it? Well, we move on and up in our thinking, even about Christ, and we accept our miraculous new identities. Verse 17, this is a beautiful verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation or a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. One of the most poignant verses in Scripture. I know a lot of you probably, like me, memorized that early in your Christian walk, perhaps. But it's talking about identity. And identity is obviously a big issue these days. We shouldn't be befuddled or surprised that the world is confused about identity. It should be. It doesn't know what it is. And now that it's being told that it can be whatever it wants, any God it wants, it makes the problem even worse. So the world has always been confused about identity, but true born-again Christian church members in covenant with God, well-instructed in the gospel, Lord's Day to Lord's Day, are never confounded about identity. And the reason for this is because it's impossible for you to be confused and befuddled about identity. God has sovereignly declared you to be who you are. Christ has secured you in who you are by his blood and resurrection. The Holy Spirit has sealed you in who you are. And your saving faith in Christ continues to encourage you in who you are. Now, we ought to have compassion for people in the world. People in the world outside of Jesus Christ are only sinners. That's all they are. We who are in Christ as new creatures are now called saints, but we still struggle with the sinful flesh. And therefore, it's totally understandable that dead people outside of Christ seek false newness and old sins while living saints are actually and truly new and renewed Lord's Day to Lord's Day in Christ. 
Now, what I'm teaching you is just the truth about the world in which you live. It's just more vivid and dramatic in perspective today, perhaps, than in some other times. And there's notice as well that with our new identities in Jesus comes all new things. I love the end of verse 17b. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's no in-between there's There's no gray area. You live in the new person and creation of Jesus Christ. It's the new covenant church. Or you just live in the old, dead, condemned, miserable world of sinners. There's no in-between. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, being addressed as a church here in Corinth in 50s A.D., the old has passed away. It's gone. The new has come. This is beautiful, my dears. Let me ask you this. Do you love God at all in Jesus Christ by faith as a member of his holy church? Big question. Give yourself a few seconds. If you do, you are a new creation by God's grace, even though you may not always feel like it. And that's the sanctification struggle, but don't be discouraged by it. The supernatural mindset of reconciling new creatures. We move on and up. We accept our miraculous identities. And finally, we discharge our new roles as emissaries of the gospel. Emissaries, children, is the ambassador or someone who tells it, spreads it. Verses 18 and 19. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You understand, yes, this was Paul first writing this. It meant for the apostles, but through them, the ministers of the church and the parishioners of the church in all the ages who are faithful in Christ Jesus. These are also two magnificent verses. Notice, first of all, that all this newness, including, of course, the new birth, is entirely, not partly, quote, from God. You didn't have anything to do with it. Verse 18a. It's all from God. You are passive recipients of it. God came upon you and sovereignly applied it to you. Human effort, religious laws, and self-righteous good works have no place in this newness at all. It's just old trash, garbage, sprinkled with some religious talk. None of that in the new world and kingdom of Christ. And then observe, too, that the true church is reconciled to God through Christ and also given the ministry of reconciliation by God. So we made this point in the doctrine section. We're reconciled to God, and we are now the agents of reconciliation. No one else in the entire world has the privilege and responsibility of being a minister of reconciliation than you, the members of the true church. This means, of course, dears, that we need to face the fact that the world's efforts even though they must put them forth as beings created in the image of God, they have to do something. All the world's efforts ever since the fall of man in the garden have amounted to nothing. 
All we've managed to do is figure out more efficient ways to kill each other off, essentially. Human nature hasn't improved a bit. All of its efforts, and we don't condemn the efforts. People outside of Christ have to do something. Even they can see there's a problem. None of them work. You, the New Covenant Church, are God's only answer to this problem. You are the exclusive agents of reconciliation on the earth. God has left no other ones, not even angels, not even elect angels. You are the only ones. And finally, behold the gracious message we have for the world in verse 19. And these words are beautiful. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, of course, Paul isn't teaching universal atonement here. We learned about the analogy of faith in our Christian education up here earlier today. We would look at other texts that are more clear on that. But this is still a glorious message that the world has before it, through the church's ministry, the words of reconciliation for it with a holy and perfect God. This message, this grace-laden, sin-addressing gospel would go out to all the earth. There's 2,000-some years ago when these words were written, this area here didn't have anybody hearing that message or preaching it. This is the essence of the kingdom of God growing, the gospel, the church expanding, over all the earth, the whole orb of the globe. You are blessed recipients of it. All the elect who will hear these words, whether they are Jew or Gentile, would receive the unspeakable benefits, all in Christ's bloody atonement and glorious resurrection. As always, let's do a little more application this morning and understand why reconciliation may only be brokered through God's new creatures. And this is really important, and we broached it earlier, but the verses continue to insist on it, especially verse 18b and verse 19b. Please understand this, that you and I don't affect any reconciliation. We don't, personally. Only Jesus Christ can do that. What we are are messengers, ambassadors, emissaries, preachers, and teachers of the gospel of reconciliation. Christ uses us in that way. But this is not a job for children of Adam, old man sinners still stuck in the old way with the old federal head of Adam, the dead, condemned, rotting corpse of deadness and destruction. This is an honor reserved for new, always being renewed saints of the loyal to Christ's church. Let us now wonder at why reconciliation may only be brokered through God's new creatures. First, because false gospels separate people through self-righteousness. You know, the thing that God detests more than anything is not the world's paltry efforts to solve its problems, but the 
wicked, false gospels given in religion, especially under the guise of Christianity. Think for a moment about every effort of the world to reconcile people, even the religious world. What is the actual effect of every one of them? If we're honest, more alienation, more separation, more animosity, more angst between the various people groups. And there's a basic reason for this, self-righteousness. See, everyone has a gospel. So every false gospel is essentially a self-righteous, works-based false gospel. It's just who has the bigger voice, the more money, and the more broadcasting time. That's the only real question. It's always the same one. A false, self-righteous gospel, a doctrine that my righteousness is ultimate. You need to submit to it. I've got the gospel. You've got to do it my way. That's a false gospel. It's a proud, arrogant, demonic one. Now we might say, rightly so, that this self-righteousness is driven and promoted by those people who seem to have all the power in the world. And that may be, in a certain sense, subordinately true, but the fact is that it's willingly imbibed by those who gladly wish to be thought masters of their own fates. So the bottom line comes down to this, my dears. The wisdom of the world is totally foolish. The foolishness of God in preaching the gospel of reconciliation to dead lost sinners, that's the wisdom of God. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians 1.21. And all the elect who hear that good news will be brought unto reconciliation, gathered into the harvest field, the house of bread, the church. The new community of the church of God in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit is God's only resplendent response to all the problems in this entire fallen world. I'll say it again. The new community of the true faithful church is God's resplendent response to all the problems in the world anytime. He has no other answer. Will we accept this truth? Why reconciliation may only be brokered through God's new creatures. His false gospels separate people through self-righteousness, but the true gospel unites sinners around Jesus, our only righteousness. And all the words of this statement are important. It must be the true gospel of grace in the Lord Jesus. No works, no law. It unites sinners, not good people, not self-righteous people, not respectable people that think they don't need God, not people that think they're okay and others are bad and they can make it on the curve, not those people, real sinners. This gospel is entirely around Jesus, and he alone is anyone's righteousness. We don't have any other righteousness. All our righteousness is alien, given to us, imputed, declared upon us, set upon us by God. What does this mean, practically speaking? Well, among other things, that not everyone in this fallen world will be reconciled, either to God or each other. We need to face that fact. We don't live in a utopian dream or delusion. But this also means that the elect in the world will, without any doubt, be reconciled to God. 
and each other. Now having said all that, let me also say this, because this is key as well. Everything the faithful church endeavors to do in all of her ministrations, from the pulpit, from the table, from prayer time, from every ministry that properly flows from these means of grace through the church to the world, without all the nonsense and extra garbage, all of that completely is designed to unite all people to God through the faithful preaching of the gospel of Christ. Did you know that? We actually have that as a goal. After all, we don't know who the elect are. That is our goal, even though we know that by so doing this preaching, this worship, this church life, this faithfulness, some people will actually be exposed as being separated from God and his new people. They will show themselves to be hypocrites and liars. And all of this is consistent with Jesus' own words of Matthew 10, 34 through 36. So my dears, what about you? Are you reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, his bloody atonement, his victorious triumph over the grave? Have you been united to him in baptism, in covenant? Have you been brought into the family of God, adopted? If you are, then there's two things I need to tell you. First of all, you are a new creature in Christ. And you are a minister of reconciliation in and to the world. Well, that reconciling new creatures are wonders to behold. Just look around. In the fullness of Jesus Christ, we are, by his grace, reconciling new creatures. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that. We could never do this on our own. You did it for us. We thank you that you brought us to this glorious estate of being reconciled to you and also now being the only agents of reconciliation in this fallen world. Sometimes we forget what an incredible honor it is to be a faithful member of a true church. It is the ultimate honor in the world. There is no higher place. We thank you that in this faithful church people can come humbly, young, poor, destitute, and yet be raised to the highest possible place on earth or in heaven in Jesus Christ as new creatures, the community of the new world. In Jesus, we thank you for this glorious truth and give you the praise. Amen.